listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Thank you guys for coming out tonight to prayer, teaching, and intercession. These Wednesday nights have been really amazing for our body. I mean, this is Wednesday night intercession is kind of like what birthed Abide back in the day before we even knew what intercession was. We were just like getting in a room and we were just doing crazy stuff and seeing what God would do. I remember this one time, me and Covington were doing, where'd he go? He's somewhere. We were doing intercession and we didn't know anything about Israel and Marcus was there too. And I started to sing, there's a, I, I hope by the spirit, it didn't make any sense, but I started to sing, there's a cry in Zion, a river in the land, prepare ye people, he's coming back again. I just tried to a bunch of like Old Testament themes into one verse. It sounded amazing. I don't know if it's biblically correct, but it was the Lord knew my heart. That's the important part. We didn't know what we were doing, but the Lord knew our hearts. And so Wednesday night's just special. Well, hey, um, tonight I want to do some teaching on Israel, on what we're calling kind of the divine narrative or the divine storyline. And I hope tonight to fill in some gaps. Um, I'm very ambitious in about 30, 45 minutes. I hope to fill in some gaps from the garden to the new Jerusalem. So I have a tall order tonight, but... um, we're going to kind of take like a 10,000 foot view, like very high, and then we'll come touch down in certain parts. But for me, I didn't understand like Israel, you know, growing up in, growing up in America in an American church, you don't get it. You hear some stuff, but you just, you don't really understand. And I hope tonight for you to walk away with a fuller picture, maybe not every intricate part, but a fuller picture of the divine storyline that God has been weaving through the nations and through the earth for thousands of years. Um, We're going to be working with two primary texts tonight, and that is um, Luke 15, that is the story of the prodigal son, and then Deuteronomy 32. Um, These are probably some, definitely some verses and chapters you've known and heard all your life, and then some you probably didn't even know are in the Bible. So that's, that's a good place to be tonight. Um, we're going to start in Luke 15 in the story of the prodigal son. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to reference it here and there and kind of touch back down. Um, but I would like to say this tonight, that Luke 15, and as I grow older and as I just study more and, and, and the Lord begins to speak and I learn more, Luke 15 is as much about the divine storyline of nations and peoples over thousands of years as it is about one sinner coming to Jesus. So often we take the story of the prodigal son and it's about, you know, and it is, it's that can, it's applied in that way about you coming back to the Lord. But I really believe the story of the prodigal son is really about two sons and a divine heavenly father and his plan to form a family. And so, I studied English in, in college. I didn't study seminary or, or theology or whatever. I was an English major, creative writing. And um, we learned that how you start a story is really important. How you start a story frames how the rest of the story is going to go. And if you look at the story of the prodigal son, we always focus on the prodigal son. And it's a great part of the story. But the beginning of the chapter says this, a man had two sons. And so immediately the writer here is framing us 
saying this is about two sons. This is not just about the younger son or the older son or the father or the hiking up of the dress and running. That's a beautiful part. This is about a father has two sons. And if we have eyes to see when we read this sort of thing, we can see that a father at the end of the story regains both sons. He lost both sons. And tonight I want to show through the scriptures and through different things, looking at different parts, that the father is looking to regain Israel and the Gentiles and how we play in that, in that narrative. Because if I'm being honest, like Marcus said this, I think it was last week, it was so beautiful. I wasn't here, but I was watching. And he said, correct theology breeds efficient and powerful prayers. And sometimes as a pastor, I can be in rooms like this or on a Sunday morning or whatever, and just vulnerable moments. Sometimes I'm like, man, there's apathy in the room. They just not, they're not going after it. And sometimes that is true. Let's just be honest. We be, we be apathetic sometimes. Okay. You guys can lighten up. It's, 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 you can laugh. It's all right. Um, but some, I've learned this as well, that my heart becomes alive when my head understands what's going on. So sometimes, like you're not all the time, but especially in things like this, the Lord will divinely give you, he will give you knowledge and create a road that your heart can then travel on. And that's how it's been for me with Israel. Like I've tried to pray for Israel before, like the river and the land, right? And I'm just like shooting darts at a dartboard and I'm with a blindfold on. But when he begins to give me insight and revelation, now my heart can go on a correct journey. And that's what I want to do tonight. So story about the prodigal son or the story of two sons, divine timeline. So who are the two sons? I'm proposing that there's two sons, the older one is Israel and the younger is the Gentiles. And if we look at the story, there's some really important beats in the story, moments in the story that move it along. The main one in the beginning is the younger son asking for his what? Inheritance. He wants his inheritance. He's like, I don't want you, Father. I wish you were dead. All this sort of stuff. I want to take my inheritance and I want to go. I want to be out from under your leadership. And so the younger son is going to leave. Now, if we're going to say that the younger son is the Gentiles, we have to be able to find that in the scriptures. Where could we see a people or a person saying, Yahweh, I don't want your leadership and language of inheritance is used and them coming out of his leadership. Where could we find that? If we know where to look, we can find it in Deuteronomy 32. So flip over with me to Deuteronomy 32. We're going to start in, in verse 7. Some context for this. Um, and just while you're flipping, I'm going to try to go, oh, I'm going to have to go as fast as possible tonight. I have a lot to get through. So it may feel like you're drinking from a fire hydrant. So just hold on to your seat. It's going to be okay. Try to pay attention because if you look away and you come back, we may be in somewhere else. So like stay with me. I promise it'll all make sense. And if you have questions, because I'm going to probably say some stuff tonight that you've never heard and that may even challenge the way you even view the world, um, you can find me afterwards because um, I know it can be a challenging thing to hear sometimes. Deuteronomy 32, context. This is Moses speaking at the end of his life. He's on his deathbed and he is giving his final benediction to Israel. And he's, his main point of all his speech is don't turn away from Yahweh. Like stay with the Lord for crying out loud. We've done the wandering thing for 40 years. We don't want to do that again. 
And he goes into this statement in verse seven. He says, remember, this is so crazy. Remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. He says, ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you. He's referencing a point in time. He's like, there's something that I'm remembering. You don't know it because you're too young. Because remember in the generation they die. He's like, ask your elders. They'll tell you, they remember what I'm about to tell you. He says, when the most high gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. Right there, we have the language of the nations getting an inheritance, being driven out, being scattered, being divided. This is clearly like the... the Luke or Jesus, sorry, is painting a picture. He's hearkening back to this story. Like some of the things in the Bible we have to understand is that they were not writing to people who lived in Florida. They weren't writing to 2023 Americans. They were writing to Jewish people, particularly second temple, like intertestamental Jewish people who had a frame of mindset. He would have known what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about his son rebelling and asking for his inheritance is being cast out into Gentile places and defiling himself with pigs. Like the image is really clear. We have to ask the Lord to reveal it and to do a study to see it from that lens. Okay, so Moses on his deathbed, he's saying like, don't turn from Yahweh. And he's given this story of a moment where Gentiles left. It's like, Yahweh, I don't want your leadership anymore. Give me my inheritance. I want to be gone. So when did this happen? What is Moses talking about? Can anybody tell me? This is the Tower of Babel. One of the stories in the Bible that we all read and be like, I don't understand it. I'm going to move on. <laughs> and um, I love uh, one of my favorite theologians, may he rest in peace, Dr. Heiser. He said, if it's weird in the scriptures, it's important. If it's weird, it's important. doesn't mean it's unimportant. It means it's important. And we need to ask for insight and revelation and do diligent study to understand. And so Moses is clearly talking about the moment of the Tower of Babel. Now, if you need a refresher course on the Tower of Babel, it's this moment where the people of the earth come together and they build this big tower. Old Testament scholars are pretty much all uniform on this, that it was a ziggurat. And it wasn't just, it's, just, it's a weird scripture and I've always struggled with it in, in studying or just reading the scripture. Like, why did God care that much about a tower? Like it really offended him. But if you understand what a ziggurat was, a ziggurat was not just a place of worship or just a cool statue. A ziggurat in early Mesopotamian culture was a, a place because the ancients believed that if you could get high enough, they believed the deities lived in the air. If you could get high enough in the air, you could get on level playing field with them. And then not only could you worship them and do sacrifices, but you could begin to barter and, and, and reason with the deity. Now, immediately we're all like, yeah, God's not going to go for that. Yahweh is not like, this is not a mono e mono thing. You worship me in the way I need to be worshiped. And so they build this thing and God's like, you know what? You don't want to worship me in the way I want to be worshiped. Like we've done this thing a, a, a several times now. We've done it with the flood and now you're still like, just not, you, you are still kicking against me. He says, fine, 
If this is what you want, if you want deities that you can talk to, you don't want me, I will give it to you. And he says, that's what it says in Deuteronomy 32. He says, he divided them and, and caused them to be sent out and he divides them according to the number of the sons of God. Now I, I have to touch on this really quick. So hold on to your hand, hold on to your seat. Um, the word sons of God, if you have certain translations like mine right here is the NKJV. I love this Bible because it has oil with me and I just had it forever. It's, but it is not the best translation for the Old Testament. Um, something happened in the middle of this century called the Dead Sea Scrolls and they helped us understand better the language being used because the, the Old Testament before was using an inferior translation. So in yours, it may say sons of Israel or sons of whoever, but the tr correct translation is sons of God. Divided them up according to the number of the sons of God. The word there is bene Elohim. And anywhere in the Old Testament, when the phrase or words bene Elohim are used, it distinctly means sons of God in a divine, supernatural way, not men. And so what Moses is telling us here is this. He's giving us context for what happens at Babel. He's saying, at this point in time, the gen the, these nations are rebelling against Yahweh. And so Yahweh says, fine, I will give you what you ask for. I will cast you out and you won't have to, I will not have to be your God. Yahweh then takes Bene Elohim, sons of God. Elohim, you're like, I thought Elohim meant God. Elohim is just a Jewish word that means disembodied spirit. It can mean Yahweh, but it doesn't have to mean Yahweh. Yahweh is an Elohim, but not every Elohim is Yahweh. Does that make sense? It's like big G, little G. It's the easiest way to explain it. So he sends them out, and then Yahweh does something that I had never heard before until I started to do study and look at the text. He takes Bene Elohim. He takes supernatural disembodied spirits and sets them as placeholders over these nations supernatural beings and placeholders over territories. These, these beings were supposed to shepherd, protect, and eventually lead back. They were almost Christological characters, lead back those people to Yahweh. But as we know, that didn't happen. And as the saying goes, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And you're like, Todd, that's a wild claim. Where are you, where, is there any substantiation for that in scripture? There's actually a lot. If you look for it, if you know where to see. One of the greatest ones is Psalm 82. Psalm 82 says, if we can look at that, <laughs> Lord. Um, Psalm 82 says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty, the Elohim. He judges amongst the Bene Elohim, the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? And he goes on this long rampage. The Lord, this, this is an eschatological end times prophetic decree that Yahweh is going to stand amongst territorial spirit leaders and, ju and judge them before the foundations of the earth and eventually send them into hell. And he's saying, you were supposed to shepherd my people, but you led them astray. And at the end, it's a weird thing because some people interpret this as like wicked judges of Israel or whatever. It doesn't make any sense. If, if you're reading the context and you're being a uh, scholar of the, of the language there, and even it doesn't make any sense. The last verse says this, arise, O God, judge the earth, judge the earth for you shall inherit the nations. So we have Yahweh standing up 
And he's saying, you are wicked judges. And at the end it says, arise, arise most high, you will inherit the nations. So God takes these nations, he drives them out. He puts placeholders over them. They eventually go wicked and they turn the people more wicked. But at the end of that verse in Deuteronomy, there's an interesting, interesting uh, line. At the very end, it says the last sentence, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. So you better believe God's not just like, okay, I'm done. The Lord's like, I will make for myself a people. And so, and if you look back at the Tower of Babel, it makes sense because literally the next chapter, what does it start with? And God found a man named Abram. God takes this guy named Abram, whose father was an idol worshiper, and he takes him in and he begins to plant vision because Abram actually worshiped the one true God. And God finds a man after his own heart and with his wife, Sarai, he is going to literally implant like this divine storyline through Abraham that is going to, what does he say to Abraham? Bless the nations. And what happens, it's so interesting. The Lord started speaking this to me earlier this week. God finds Abraham and, or Abram and Sarai and what they couldn't have children, right? And so God, Yahweh in his infinite wisdom says, is this okay, you guys tracking so far? I know it's a lot, but it's, it's, we, we, gotta end, we got a destination we're trying to get to. Um, he finds Abram and he finds Sarah and he says, you know, it's perfect. She can't have any kids. So, and she's super old, like craggly old. Sorry if that offends me. Like she's just really old. Like very, she definitely is on AARP, like, I got You guys got to get. I got to get some laughter. I'm dry mouth up here. I know it's terrible. He's like she can't have children. So when she does have children, because she's barren and she's old, all the nations, all the principalities, the spirit of the air, they will know this seed comes from Yahweh. The enemy can do a lot of miraculous things. He can do supernatural stuff, but there is. Well, there's many things he can't do, but one of the main ones is he cannot create life. You're like, why does God always choose barren women? It is like pillars throughout the prophetic narrative of scripture of Yahweh's fingerprint. He is the only one who can create life. It is like his fingerprint throughout the story. I was here. The devil couldn't do this. Baal couldn't do this. Like Jez like nobody could do this. Molech, only Yahweh can create life. Only he can. Like the Baal, like, you know, this demon thing probably could have sent down fire if Yahweh would have let him in the, in the standoff, but he chose not to. But one thing he could never do was create life. And so God says, I will give, I'll take Sarah and it's perfect because she's barren. And so every nation, because they would have seen this, it would have been recognized. And Abraham, as we see it in his life, he's a famous dude. One of the reasons is because he has a supernatural child. And throughout the story now, through thousands and thousands, 6,000 years, we're gonna see a all out demonic plot against Yahweh's plan. And it began with Ishmael. 
There's going to be a plan to subvert, to change, to take away. I mean, it's, it's futile, but the enemy will try to squash out, leading all the way up to Nazi Germany, Yahweh's plan. But Yahweh will have his way. Yahweh will have his way. So he impregnates Sarai and she has this baby. And it's interesting when she has the baby, before she has the baby, Yahweh meets Abraham and he begins to talk to him. You would think he's ticked at the other nations of the world. They just had this whole interchange. It's got to be less than 100 years, maybe 100 years later. And he's like, I'm going to find somebody else. But still, because this is my thesis for tonight, that Yahweh is not just after Israel. He's after a family. And family operates in love. And it's not an option for us to be like, well, I'm an Israel guy. Well, I'm not. You're a family guy. You are a part of the Lord's family. And Yahweh was only a couple, maybe a hundred years after the Tower of Babel and the frustration. And in his heart is still through your seed, the nations will be blessed. He is still thinking in terms of, I want a family. And I want my family to feel like a family. And I have a plan. And it's going to happen through Israel. And so as we know, Isaac comes. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Lord births something in Israel. Now, um, and if you wanted more text on the the Elohim, I ha- we have notes. I didn- couldn't get them to print, but Daniel nine and ten scriptures talk about the the spirit, the prince of. Uh, Persia and the prince of Greece um, uh, upholding the archangel in the air. It's clearly territorial spirits. Even Paul in the New Testament talks about principalities, rulers over this present darkness. Like it's, it's in the scripture. And the Lord, I'll just say this. Um, Jesus, is when he came to die on the cross and to redeem the world, he didn't just come to free the world from Genesis 3. From the fall of man, the, the apple, if you're wondering what I'm talking about. He came to redeem the world for everything. Everything he came to set free, okay? He's not just coming to die on the cross to take your sins away. He's coming to reverse everything. And if you were actually a, a Jewish person, it would not just be one moment where humanity was corrupted or the fall. There's three distinct moments. There's Genesis 3 for sure with the apple. There's what I just read to you at the Tower of Babel and the, the disseminating of the nations with false shepherds. And then number three, which would be the Nephilim coming down and perverting the sons of men. We don't have time for that tonight, but uh, maybe next time we can get into that. But uh, Jesus's plan is I'm going to restore everything. And I can prove it to you. One of the scriptures we, we always hear about Jesus, we just don't understand is this moment where he takes 72 people. He has his 12. And then at one point he takes 72 disciples and he pulls them in. He's like, I'm going to send you out to these Gentile cities. You're going to go do ministry. Really weird number. Like I never, I was like, Jesus just loved multiples of 12, I guess. Like he, he takes 72 people and he sends them out. What does 72 people have to do with anything? Jesus is never unintentional. He's always very intentional. 72, going back to um, Deuteronomy 32 with the nations. If you go back to Genesis I think it's Genesis 4, Genesis 5, with the Tower of Babel, the nations that were represented there, 
if you number all the nations of these Gentile nations that were sent out, that were you know, not a part of Israel, the number of those nations is 72. So Jesus comes, he got 72 people, he sends them out. He's clearly saying, I have come not only to redeem mankind from their fallenness and sin, I have come to redeem them from everything. I don't just want the Jewish people who he was preaching to, because remember he said it's, um, that, that the, the crumbs and the dog and the things, like it wasn't his time, but he still had it in his heart to redeem every nation unto him. That's why when we read scriptures that say, Lord Jesus, the nations are your inheritance, it actually means something. It's not just a cute little saying. It actually means something. It's because one day in Deuteronomy or in Genesis, he owned the nations and then they were disinherited through their free will and choices. He dis, he, the nations were disinherited from him, but one day he will re-inherit them. That's why the fullness of the Gentiles is so important. That's why it's connected to the, the, the tearing away of the hardness of Israel. It's because both sons are coming home on the same day. Amen. I thought that was better than the response. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I thought that was better than the response. No, I'm just playing. Um, so he sends them out. What does he tell, what happens? They come back and they begin to have this dialogue and Jesus says something really strange. He says, he says, I've given you authority over snakes and scorpions. It's a weird thing to say. But we're, we're, remember, they're not Americans. They're Jewish people living back in 2000 years ago. Where are snakes and scorpions found? They're found in the desert. What else did Jewish people of that day believe was found in the wilderness of the desert? Evil spirits. Jesus says, when a spirit leaves, it goes to the dry places searching for rest. It was actually in my Bible reading today. It's weird. He says it goes through the dry places finding for rest. And if it doesn't find it, it comes back to the home. You know, you've heard that story. The Jewish person, this is why they would send the scapegoat out because they believe devils were in the wilderness. Jesus says he was driven to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And who met him there? Satan. Jesus says, I'm sending you out to these Gentile cities, to the wilderness, and I'm giving you authority over snakes and scorpions. What is he talking about? He's saying, I have come and it is time right now I've given I've been given authority on heaven and earth and I'm giving it to you to take back what is rightfully mine. There are evil demonic spirits, territorial entities over nations. And finally, for the first time in history, legally, I'm sending you out and we can take that stuff back. And it's proven because what they say when they came back, they says, Jesus, even the demons are subject to us. He is reversing every part of the curse and he's all unto a family coming back to him are we tracking come on amen amen <laughs> amen all right i went through a lot of my notes already so jesus is he is reversing babel he desires to have both sons Israel carries this divine narrative for over 6,000 years. They were faithful. I want your heart to catch this tonight because this is what the Lord is speaking to me for tonight. Israel was faithful for the most part to carry the divine seed, if you will, to carry Jesus through the storyline, all so that he could come, die on a cross, and redeem the earth from everything. 
so that we could sit in a room like this and have unhindered relationship with Yahweh. Do you understand? Like that's wild. And it would not be possible without Abraham, without Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, without all of them. It would not have been possible. And so I'm sorry, but there is no Jewish Christian people and non really caring about the Jewish person Christian. Like you owe them this. And I feel okay to say that tonight. Like I owe gratitude to Israel for carrying the seed of promise for thousands of years. Also that one moment in time, the script flips. We always talk about like the cross standing in the middle. Well, it really did. For 6,000 years, Israel carried the divine storyline up until Jesus, the Jewish man, dies on a cross and then immediately the script flips and all of a sudden we enter into a new age called the age of the church. And this is no weird replacement theology. What I'm here to say is it's your turn. It is my turn to carry the divine narrative unto their salvation. They carried it for you. It is time for you to shoulder the burden and carry it unto them. He doesn't just want, a, God is not interested in a kingdom. Do you understand? Like he doesn't want a king. He would have gone about this much differently. He wants a family. This is why his first response in the garden is, Adam, where are you? Not how dare you. He wants a family. Alan Hood said something that, ro that rocked my world. He says, as a father, my number one goal is to get my kids to see each other. And those of you who have children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> so often Henry or more Madeline hits Henry because Madeline's not looking at, she doesn't see him, not physically, but emotionally. She doesn't see that my son processes things differently than her. He doesn't see that she processes things differently than him. And so often when there's conflict, it's because they're looking past each other. And God is not just desirous of a kingdom where he sets up his thing on earth and rules with a rod of iron. He's going to do that. But he is going to do it in the context of family. He always throughout history has done this in the context of community. This is why in the Old Testament, there's this theme of the divine counsel, whether it's in Job, whether it's in Psalm 82, in Deuteronomy, there is God sitting amongst the realm of Bene Elohim, sons of God. He doesn't have to, but he wants to. He wants to have a family on earth and in heaven. This is why when Jesus prays on earth as it is in heaven, it's more than just seeing a leg grow out. And I love that. Like, it's about the supernatural family and our family coming together and becoming one. This is why there is no wiping away and starting over. This is why heaven will literally descend upon earth and they will become one. It's because he wants us to be brothers with Michael and Gabriel. And he wants us to be brothers with Israel. And we all be living in this one supernatural, harmonious family. But right now where you find yourself in the narrative of the story is your father just welcomed you home from the pig pen. 
and you're standing there and you're walking back to the house. The party that you're about to enter into is the marriage supper of the lamb. And your brother Israel is still in the field. He knows a, he knows a view of the, of the father of Yahweh, but he doesn't know him in his fullness. And now, because understand, and I want you to, I, I asked the Lord this morning, Father, help me feel the weight of this. That I, I was out in the, I told Yahweh, I don't want you. I want to be apart from you. Like, leave me alone. Give me my money and let me go. And while I was gone, my older brother took up my chores at the house. He stood in the gap for me, whether he knew it or not. He says, I have been faithful all these years, Father. I have been faithful. And so while we were out living La Vida Loca, some of you really did. And I, I could, by the spirit, I can tell. And I'll say this, it's not who you expect. <laughs> while we were out acting a fool, Israel was, keep, was holding down the fort. For sure, messing up, having falls. But David's coming and resurrecting a, a, a house for the Lord. Abraham is, is a friend of God. Moses is meeting with him face to face. Out While we are literally under the power of Molech and giving ourselves to other things, Israel is relating to the Father. Also that us lost in wild Gentiles on the day of Pentecost could come back to him. This is wild. This is, this is, the Pentecost is so prophetic that like, on that day, we Jews from every and people from every nation would see and come back to the Father. And I want us to feel the weight that now it's our turn. There are no Israel people and non, like it, you are a part of a family. You owe it to your brother. He's out in the field right now. He sees, Israel sees a measure of Yahweh. But he doesn't see him as the father who would pursue him. Like there's a party going on and they're working. They don't, there's a, an immense, in this story, both sons are suffering from a spirit of orphanhood. And Yahweh redeems both sons through the spirit of adoption. And I believe we, that, that hopefully this is clicking for you that Yahweh has designed all of this so that they played a part in us and we are playing a part in them. It is our responsibility now to like Isaiah 62, to not give him rest until our older brother, what, I, this is not in the scripture, this is added, so take it as you will. I like to think the younger brother steps into his party and he looks around and he's happy and he's like, calls his dad over like, dad, where, where's my brother? Because it says the father sends one of his servants, but I would have to think it is unto the younger son saying, I want him here with me. I don't want to do this by myself. Like he did my chores. He, he related to you while the years I was gone. And then the father sends a servant, which significant signifies angelic visitations that are about to happen in this new age and in, in, in these upcoming years, angelic visitations over Israel. It says your father wants you to, and eventually the father comes and they have this interaction. The older son begins to talk to the father and he finally, for the first time, bears his heart in a real way. And the father's like, this is the moment I've been waiting for. 
It's like, everything I have is yours. You've been here all this, you've been faithful, but you have not known me in the fullness of who I am. Everything, he's not talking about money, he's talking about the heart. Everything that I am as your Abba, as Father is yours. You can have every part of me, not just the judge, not just like the law, the 600 things of like the, 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 the oral written law. You can have my heart and I will write my laws on your heart. Like that was for you, Israel. But it starts with jealousy because the older son goes, how is this happening right now? And so I'm going to give you what I think is going to happen at the end of the age is that over the Gentile church, there will be such and band. You guys can go ahead and get going. I told you I would tell you Um, there will be such an undeniable favor over the Gentile church. And you're like, oh, sweet car, like money and cars. I don't think so. I have a. On time, not today, devil. Because he don't want you to hear this part. I have a feeling that through the, 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 the son of lawlessness and the abomination of desolation and the spirit of the Antichrist, that it will become increasingly harder to stand with Israel. Like we were just in the Middle East, me, Gio, and David, and we couldn't even say the word Israel out loud and, and Ronette. We couldn't even say it out loud in restaurants. And I do believe there's probably coming a day where out the entire world, it's that level of tension. And beyond that, like just becoming a, being a believer, like we are going to experience intense persecution. However, there will be a measure of favor on the church. Not probably not financially, but supernaturally and in the realm of power unto the miraculous and more importantly unto love. That we in the midst of intense and undeniable demonic persecution will be able to look at Israel probably with blood streaming down many of our faces and says, I still love you and I still want you. And something will happen. Something will happen to where Israel will say, there's no way. And I do believe there will be realms of power that will hearken back to Egypt and Pharaoh and Israel will be like, man, it looks, smells, and quacks like a duck. It, that, that might be the Lord. That really may be genuine. Could it be? And even beyond the miraculous, I really felt this as I was studying and preparing. I believe that through our persecution and just our undeniable, like we are not... And this is why this fast is so amazing. But if I'm being honest, kind of scary. Because I feel like the Lord is dropping a burden in our hearts that many of us might carry several decades from now. And God forbid, like, it, it probably will happen. That my children, through intense persecution, will have an imparta- impartation now of a heart for Israel that in that day will carry them through persecution with love in their mind. And it will be unto Israel saying, there's no way that's not supernatural. And in that, and I'm talking about the government. It will happen on a personal level in Israel, but there will be a governmental shift. And Israel, in that moment, when they, be, I, this is what I felt the Lord saying to me. I just submit it to you guys. I feel like at that moment, when they begin to say, there's no way that's possible without the Lord. The Lord says, there it is. And 
and then like finally over Israel, the, the, the partial heart will be uh, swept away and the revelation of Jesus, like Ephesians talks about, will come over a nation and like scales off of Saul, they will see finally like, oh my gosh, he is the one we have pierced. And so in this little prayer room and Brandon tonight at 743, like what are we going to do about it? I, I felt the Lord tell me earlier today that we would ask him, ask me to soften my heart for my older brother. That I would not say, well, that's just sister so-and-so with the flags. That's what she does. That, no, 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 no. Like one day you will be in the new Jerusalem with them and you have to have a heart for them. And sometimes we need to learn and like line upon line, precept. But sometimes we just say, Lord, please, like impart it to me by the Spirit. Like Desi was talking about, it's only by the Spirit. And some of these things I feel like he is hidden. It's like the foolish things confounding the wise. He's hidden from people, but for those who have eyes to see and hearts to feel. They would perceive that Israel is their older brother and it's time right now for us to carry the narrative. Would you stand with me? I want us to pray. And they're, they're going to they're gonna sing. We're going to go in and we're going to pray tonight. Our prayer point is for our hearts to burn for our older brother. You know, it's almost like Jesus may have prayed a prayer at one point about this in John 17. I know we talk about this in the, in the you know, relationship of like me and Marcus or me and Gio or whoever, about that your love for one another would testify that he is real and that Father, oh, that they would love each other like you and I love each other. And I just think by the Spirit, the Lord is inviting us, younger and older brother, to love one another by the Spirit as a testimony of his reality. And so, Father, if you would just like put your hand on your heart, we're just going to ask for the spirit of love and the spirit of burning to come tonight. That we would be gripped for the people. Like, man, I felt that. That they carried the torch for thousands of years so that you could have a relationship with Yahweh. That you could interact with Him. It's all, all I'm asking, all the Lord is asking tonight is for us to say some silly prayers. Just to release something in the atmosphere. Like, Lord, would you come and touch them? Touch me. So right now, would you just lift your voice? Ask the Lord to put it on your heart. Ask him to soften your heart. Oh, Father, would you come? Spirit of burning, spirit of revelation. Awaken our hearts, Lord. You have hidden this from the wise and you've given it to the simple. Jesus, that we would love our older brother. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. But we ask right now that you would allow the light of your face to shine on our heart. Lord, that we would see rightly. We would see rightly. We would see our brothers in right relationship. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Awaken love tonight.
pray into that. In Luke 15, a man had two sons. Just that one phrase right there. Just in your own words, as you're praying, begin to declare the sonship over Israel right now. Come on, in your own words. Father, we declare right now they are your son. In the name of Jesus, they are not orphans.
your spirit without our older brother. Come on, can we just partner in this moment like in, for this prayer point? Lord, we are not satisfied that we are able to relate to you communally with no veil and my older brother is still outside. I'm not satisfied with that, Abba. and 
understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of his glory and his inheritance in the saints can we pray this right now not only for ourselves but also for israel that the spirit of wisdom and revelation the holy spirit would come to us and like open our eyes i see it like saul on the road to damascus on his little pony like in the lord kicking us off that thing and saying boom like light from heaven i need that over my own mind right now so if that's you if you just need wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of his calling and his his the father's inheritance in the saints your head tonight and let's just pray for an impartation of ourselves and of Israel that they would open their eyes Spirit of God come Spirit of God come right now Lord we ask for a divine impartation of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that the Holy
the whole theme for tonight is God wants a family. So I don't even know if it's possible to if it's possible to pray without for Israel and without the context of family. Does that make sense? So let's get up into some groups tonight. And let's begin to pray. We're going to be praying out of Luke 15, the story of the prodigal. We're going to pray for our older brother. May I remind you, like I said, they carried the seed so that you could relate to Abba. That's significant. So we're going to pray. I feel like we're supposed to start with verse 11 again. A certain man had two sons two sons we're praying against the spirit of orphanness and we're praying the spirit of adoption over Israel tonight and we'll have the team just kind of antiphonalize and sing softly while we're praying and they'll be singing about that but go ahead and intercede that a man had two sons The Goyim and the Israelite coming together under one roof.
you're still praying in the group, that's fine, but we can go back into some corporate intercession. I feel like the Father wants to shout Israel's identity over them tonight. to be turned to Israel. Man, I feel like one of the, if I'm being honest, it's one of the biggest hurdles for the American church is that right there. Just like, ah, I just don't get it. Or just, ah, no, I, and like, man, we need, by the Spirit, we need this, we need the Spirit of burning, the Holy Spirit to come and like arrest our hearts. And I feel like the Lord wants to do that. I mean, He wants to do it all the time. But I'm just feeling the, the, the leading of the Holy Spirit to pray for our hearts that we would not be apathetic towards this. We would not be passive towards this. So Jesus, right now, Lord, would you come by divine impartation, the spirit of burning right now. The spirit of burning for our brother. Lord, if I am selfish in my heart, I pray, God, you deal with it. Lord, that I would see him through the eyes of love. Let's just go back into a time of worship. They're going to lead us in some, some songs. And I want us to worship the Lord with the faith that he will impart a burning heart. And as you worship the Lord, I feel this like there's going to come a moment where you're going to feel your heart begin to get warm or you might just feel excited. Press into it. Like it's the Lord giving a little bit and you press into that. And he's going to multiply it and multiply it. So Father, we receive it right now. Right now in the name of Jesus.
got about 10 minutes left. I want to take the last couple minutes to pray for a divine visitation for Israel in the birthplace where the younger son came home. That moment in time was on Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem when people from every nation, tribe, and tongue from all over came home and 3,000 were added to the church in one day, followed up by Cornelius and Gentiles coming from all over. And so we want to ask the Father to once again have an interaction with one of his sons in the city of Jerusalem. And so, Father, so can we actually um, get up into some groups again or just grab somebody next to you, whatever, just... I, I, wanted, I want us to join with some people here. we got about a couple more minutes left. And then if anybody, Gio, David, or Marcus has something they want to add at the end, we can pray into that. But I want to pray for a grace over the city of Jerusalem. The Lord is too prophetic to not do this. <laughs> so, Father, right now. Lord, we ask for an impartation over the city of Jerusalem. Yeah, I just begin to pray. The signs and wonders and miracles and the spirit of wisdom revelation would be released over a city, a people, a government, families, rabbis.
Zechariah 1. The Lord said, I am exceedingly, Yahweh said, I am exceedingly zealous for Jerusalem and Zion. Lord, I thank you tonight that this is not something we have to work up in our own souls. But Lord, it's the zeal of the Lord. And we pray right now for the Abide Church family. We pray for the millions fasting and praying across the earth. We pray for Pentecost Sunday as we gather in the arena and as, Lord, as, as the global day of prayer for Israel. We ask you for something to happen across the earth. We ask you for something to happen in the nation. Let the seal of the Lord begin to touch millions of Gentile believers. Millions, not our zeal, not our human zeal. The seal of the Lord for Zion breaking out across the earth. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let it come now to this house. Let it come to our families. Let it come to the millions of Gentile believers.
fire and the divine impartation of heavenly language. Father, would you do it again in Jerusalem? Father, would you send divine manifestations of the Spirit? Send the miraculous to that city. Let the wind of God, the Ruach of Abba, sweep through the streets again. The same streets that they swept through before. The same upper rooms, God, let it sweep through, blow breath of God through that city. Awaken cold and dead hearts. Turn the hearts of the faithful towards you, Abba. We ask for the fire of God to fall on messianic congregations in that city. Fire of God fall on Israel tonight. We ask for this on Pentecost Sunday. Fire of God fall. Awaken our hearts, spirit of burning. Lord, we ask for, like in Acts 2, 2,000 years ago, they spoke in other tongues, and it was able to break through the hardness of heart of the Israelites who some days later murdered the Christ. We ask for that level of breaking over cold hearts, God, that one day they murder and the next day they're saved. Jesus, we ask for that by the Spirit, you would impart the wisdom and revelation of God, be it by other tongues, the miraculous, by dreams, visions, however you have to do it. We ask you for you that in the name of Jesus. And Father, we ask for our own hearts tonight, once again, that you would just cause us to burn. Or we would not be selfish. We would not think that Israel is just for those guys over there, or, or what, that Lord, that we would begin to feel the weight of our responsibility at this point in the story. That it is not the time for passivity. It's not the time for just the allocation of someone else, Father, but we have to pick up the story, the storyline. Jesus, it's in your heart that we would be one when you return. And I just hear the Lord saying he's waiting on us. So Lord, we receive that even in the fullness of the Gentiles, yes, that has to do with every tribe, nation, and tongue, but it also has to do with the fullness of our hearts towards our brother. And so Father, we ask for in that realm, the fullness of the Gentiles to be complete. It's only by the Spirit. Do it in our hearts tonight, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you guys for going on that journey. We just, we love you. And uh, we'll be here tomorrow night, tomorrow morning, rather, 6 a.m. And every day, 6 a.m. So um, we love you guys and be blessed. Gio. Hey guys, um, we have a burn happening for 24 hours, Friday to Saturday. So we're going to be going 21 days straight, as you guys know, 6 to 6. But Friday, Friday evening, we're going to start at 7 p.m. with Gen Z set. We're going to go all the way through Saturday. We're going to end with another time of just praying for those. Next Wednesday, our prayer room on Wednesday night will be specifically towards Pentecost Sunday. There's a crew coming from Sacramento doing a Jesus march. 
They're going to be here with us, 16 of them. There's like thousands that are going to be marching in Tampa Bay streets downtown. So we're going to be here rumbling together. We want to invite you to come out. We're going to be praying for Saturday. They're going to be doing prayer gospel proclamation on Saturday. Sunday morning, there's going to be thousands gathered at the, at the Yingling Arena for Pentecost Sunday. So come pray with us. Let's set our hearts towards the Lord's purposes as we're, as we're concluding the 21 days. Amen. Love you guys. Have an amazing night.